Manchester United is a club where everything bad is a crisis and every decent display is a sign the Red Devils are back as a football force. Atletico Madrid are also a side that lurches from catastrophe to comeback. So who will come out on top in the Champions League this week? I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. No doubting the true quality of my tipping team today, starting with the Robin to my Batman, Mark O'Hare. Mark, first of all, let's go back a bit. What did you make of the Champions League games last week? Because there were some very interesting results in there, some interesting performances. Obviously, Kylian Mbappe's late goal for Paris against Real Madrid really caught the eye. Yes, uh, not just his goal. I think his overall performance was was excellent, and he's again probably proven himself as PSG's most influential and key player so far this season, which is might surprise a few considering the other names on the team sheet or in the squad. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought the match went kind of to how I expected. Really, uh, Real Madrid went there to try and uh, sort of stay in the tie and bring it back to the Bernabeu, um, but uh, wasn't to be. And you know, Mbappe had the uh, carve a on toast for most of the match and uh, you know fully deserved his goal but uh, yeah the rest of the ties were, were interesting I thought Inter Milan gave a, a really decent effort against Liverpool and were unfortunate to lose that match by two goals yeah. um, particularly in that 20 minutes in the second half when they were on top and uh, couldn't make that pressure pay but uh, Liverpool's quality particularly the players are able to bring off the bench um, you know the, the standard of the squad and the wage budget they have available to them compared to the likes of Inter, who you know might be Serie A champions, but just can't compete in that level. When you're able to to use five subs, so you really sort of get to see the benefit of, of those deep squads. And uh, Liverpool uh, ran out winners, and unfortunately that tie now looks over. But uh, Bayern Salzburg was an interesting one because um, Salzburg could have scored more, more than just a one goal. Um, they were looking really really dangerous. Should've. We talked, yeah, we talked about Bayern's issues really with that high line and defensively looking so inept when possessions turned over in transitions and, and Salzburg just cut them to, to shreds a few times but did, didn't finish their opportunities and, and Bayern eventually made their pressure tail but I, I was really disappointed actually with Bayern's performance in the final third. Uh, I don't think Robert Lewandowski even had a shot. Uh, didn't really create a huge amount. It was just kind of pot shots and, and sort of pressure and territory without doing a huge amount. So uh, I expect them to, to pull through in the second leg of course at Munich but uh, yeah a bit of a wobble at the moment. I must admit, I did feel sorry for Danny Carvajal uh, up against Kylian Mbappe. His brain was just in pieces all over the floor by the time he lunged in uh, to give away that penalty, which, of course, was saved uh, Thibaut Courtois against Lionel Messi. Betfair trader Emmett O'Keefe is back in our lineup for the Champions League. Emmett, a great win for Manchester United at Leeds at the weekend and signs that Jaden Sancho is settling down despite furious cries of Bundesliga tax and fraud. Yeah, I, I kind of, uh, it's as we kind of discussed in the last podcast, they're kind of, they're, sta- they're stabilising to kind of a, a six, six, maybe a six out of ten level. I'll, I'll, I'll mention this later in the podcast. That's the I, dream I, for everyone, isn't it? A six out of ten level. It, absolutely. <laughs> but if you, even, even the Leeds game, like, I think like, they, they, they kind of they, they had a much better the first half, and the kind of the Rodrigo goal was I think was was obviously fairly freakish, which kind of brought then Leeds brought Leeds came back into the game and kind of a but I think largely pretty good, 
And I think the, as I kind of, I'm pretty mentioned the last podcast with, with regard to Sancho, Sancho is, like, he's the only, him and Bruno Fernandes will look for the pass for a player in a better position. And too often this season, you might have had a forward line with maybe Greenwood, Rashford and Ronaldo, and they're all looking for their own shot. And there's no cohesion and there's and not much work rate either. So I think like the, I think Sancho's unselfishness and eye for a pass really is making the forward line go. And I think, I think as well, the Leeds win, Obviously, there's been a lot of leaks coming out of United about players being unhappy and that kind of thing. But there is a possibility, I think, that a win like Leeds, like the Leeds game, could maybe kind of get the players to kind of could be gel. And as well, just from a self-interest point of view, just just come together for the last few months of the season because like, well, it looks unlikely now. Like, the Atletico Madrid is a very winnable tie. And then if if United were to were to avoid City and Liverpool in the quarterfinals, I don't think, like, United would be a big underdog to the likes of either Juventus or Villarreal. Or, like, so I, th- and so I think it's, like, there is, I think there's there's still plenty for United to play for, I would say. Finally, odds compiler and tipping superstar Mark Stinchcomb is with us. Stinch, Atletico, the hosts for this one on Wednesday. They're the 2.52 favourites. It's quite tough to trust them right now, though, isn't it? Because it's not the Atletico that we're used to seeing. If somebody had kind of just dropped in and kind of casually seen them um, in this game, they might be a bit shocked, mightn't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was just laughing there because I thought Emmett was going to suggest that United were going to be a bet for the Champions League for some back to lay. Um, but I think is the the summary of six out of ten is uh, is quite good to be honest. I think it's very scary. But he's got a point though, hasn't he, Stinch? Because if they come through this tie and Atletico were a bit of a mess, United we know blow hot and cold. But if they came through this and let's say they got you know Juventus. That feels like a fair fight, doesn't it, in the quarters? And then suddenly, if they got through that, they're in the semis, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I mentioned uh, last week when we discussed the outrights that kind of feel as though there is a bit of a chasm between the elite teams and and the rest. Um, And if we had the luxury of being able to see the draw, like we would in a World Cup or European Championship, then yeah, we could could talk a bit matter of fact. But you know, if they run into Liverpool, City or Bayern, then immediately I think you're you're looking in a bad position. And I would expect all three of those to, to qualify. And obviously there's, you know, a high percentage chance that they will draw some like that so uh, yeah I mean if you if you knew the draw and you were guaranteed to avoid them then yeah you I'd think the rest of the the, the rest of them I mean maybe I'm being a bit harsh maybe you think against maybe even against Ajax they probably would be outsiders um, fairly significant I would say um, so yeah, I think if we knew the draw, then maybe we could be a bit more um, concrete but uh, in this tie yeah I think I, I mean the odds suggest that they both sort of got equal chance almost in uh, in qualifying. Um, but I kind of feel as I want to oppose both teams, if that kind of <laughs> makes sense. Um, but I think what's what's really nice considering Atletico's struggles, um, the fact that the, the goal line for their games is, is not in keeping with what we're kind of seeing. So over two and a half goals here is priced up as six to five. So unders is like shorter than eight to thirteen, nearly four to seven, and it's just not what we're seeing in Atletico games this season, and also United games. So I'm quite happy to back overs here. I've kind of decided to be uh, to be a bit conservative, given the fact that the unders is so short, by going for the over two goals on the Asian handicap on the exchange around about one point seven. 
you could go whichever one you kind of your preference you know you could take over 2.5 you could do over 2.25 around about evens depending on what your preference is just happy to to go down this route as the only way the bet would lose if there would be zero or one goals and you know the reason we've got these odds is the the goal expectancy is uh is 2.35 so that's driving all these prices but just have a look at the sort of the overview of both teams. It's just it's com- it's just completely not in keeping with what we're seeing with our eyes and what the numbers are suggesting. I don't know whether the market is leaning towards the fact this is Champions League and finally Simeone will get things in check. But we saw against Liverpool, we saw against Milan in the group stages, Atletico weren't weren't this weren't this conservative team that were able to keep teams at bay i'll come on to Janel black in a minute but his drop off has been alarming as well um but yeah you just look at the actual goals in 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 the games between these two teams in the league this season atletico seeing 2.5 on average united is well above three and then you just look at the expected goals it's atletico's at 3.25 suggesting they could have had even more and united is at 2.77 i think the most alarming thing for me is both sides have got worst expected goals numbers against than they have going forward so basically their defense is worse than their attack and then you look at clean sheets which you know atletico sort of live and die by both teams are having less than 20 percent of clean sheets in their games this season so i just uh, in knockout football when atletico are involved historically for probably since Simeone's been there which you know the best part of a decade I wouldn't want to ever go near overs but given the odds are still in my mind stagnated and what we've seen over the long period of this of this season is the fact that both teams struggle defensively quite happy to go with the overs alternatively you go both teams score at 10 to 11 I just feel with um, being a bit more conservative by going on the goal line you're only relying on one team contributing you don't need both um, mentioned last week about the fact the away goals has been scrapped Basically, um, because it was so long ago, I think it was brought in in the 60s, they brought it in to encourage um, away teams to attack more, essentially, rather than go there. You know, it's uh, maybe a difficult atmosphere. We know all about home advantage, the fact that it gives home teams a very slight um, advantage with refereeing decisions, with the crowd, etc. So away teams would turn up and basically park the bus. Um, but when the away goals were brought in, that that got them out of that sort of rigid system knowing that the away goal was so useful now that's been scrapped i without thinking about it too much i thought it would increase an open game but there are suggestions the actual fact that it will revert to type i think you saw last week real madrid had what three shots or something in the match um and you could see it was a contained job and try and take them back to the burn so that's my only sort of uh worry here but i just think because there's such a big disparity between the odds and what we're seeing it's it's worth taking a chance and say the only way a bet would lose if you went with over two goals is if there was zero one just looking at the two keepers quickly De Gea I think we were seeing that he's performing miracles on on a weekly basis you look at his post shot expected goals which kind of gives an idea of whether a keeper's above below average or suffer or um, fortunate or unlucky he's he's got a plus 9.4 uh, metric there which to put that in perspective the third best is Fraser Forster with 2.9 most keepers are in and around the zero mark so for him to be at nearly 10 is just a massive outlier um, you look at somebody like Aaron Ramsdale who everyone's been raving about his figure zero 
So that tells you exactly, like I say, the median is around about the sort of zero mark. So when you've got somebody above or below, it, it's quite alarming. Jan Oblak, on the other hand, is at minus 10.2, which is absolutely mad considering he's posting figures uh, of 9.8, 11.1 and 10.7 over the last few seasons. And this year alone, he's got the worst save success rate in Europe's top five leagues with just 21%. So some strange things happening. Um, yeah. I do think that long-term Old Black will rediscover his form. Um, maybe he's just been a bit unlucky because, as I say, those figures don't don't separate between luck and ability. But I just thought it was worth mentioning. So, yeah, interesting to hear what the other chaps think, whether they think it is worth risking a goals-based bet at the odds. Yeah, Mark, that makes a lot of sense. And it's a good point Stinch makes about Jan Oblak because... This is probably down to what's in front of him, isn't it, really? Because they haven't had their first-choice centre-back pairing for most of the campaign, almost all of the campaign. They've lost some really good defenders in recent years as well. And they're just not as solid as they once were. So all of those things are bound to unnerve a keeper. Yeah, absolutely. It was a point I was going to make, really. Uh, At the weekend, Atleti did get Savage and Jimenez back, partnering each other at centre-half and... Whilst individually they might not be the greatest defenders, when they do come together, they do form quite a solid collective and they are by far and away Atleti's best centre-half. So to have them back fit and available is a big boost. And certainly I do think it might help Oblak because the likes of Hermoso or Felipe just aren't anywhere near the same level as Savage and Jimenez when they're together. And I don't think it was a huge surprise to see Atleti then go to Osasuna, traditionally quite a tough away day and win quite convincingly. Um, Osasuna haven't been that great at home this season, it must be said. But um, I think more for Simeone going forward he must have been really pleased because Suarez, João Felix and Correa all scored and uh, now Suarez and João Felix haven't had the greatest of campaigns and um, they're missing Carrasco midweek as well who's been a big creator for them this season he's suspended but uh, they were able to field Marcus Llorente back in midfield and he's obviously filled in quite a lot in defence this season which negates his sort of uh, main strengths but he was outstanding and really influential too so I think going forward you know you've got Griezmann back in the squad again uh, from injury so I think going forward Atleti will cause problems but uh, yeah defensively there still is question marks uh, but even still with Savage and Jimenez back you know they haven't played together too often this season so yeah there is always that caveat with Atleti in a, in a first leg knockout tie uh, are they going to revert to type are they going to try and play sort of defensive conservative football it wouldn't be a huge surprise but ultimately it comes down to as Stinch says the numbers and at the moment Atleti's numbers have been really quite alarming just just eight clean sheets across La Liga in the Champions League this season They've conceded twice or more in eight of the last 12. Um, Just one clean sheet in the group phase, two clean sheets in the last 12 in La Liga. And they've conceded multiple goals in six of eight against the top seven domestically too. So um, that is a concern. So I do expect United to score. They have been scoring quite freely. Uh, Scored in 24 of the last 27 since mid-September. We know about their away record domestically. They've also been pretty dangerous uh, when playing abroad as well. So um, yeah, I think United will score. And ultimately, I think Atleti had the quality to hurt a United team too who don't exactly look too watertight themselves at the best of times so um, I know Atleti stunk the place out against Porto and Milan in the group phase but I think the game against Liverpool was quite an interesting kind of example of what they're capable of doing they absolutely raised their game for that European night in Madrid and I expect them to put on a much better show than what we've seen for example last Wednesday when they lost at home to Levante so yeah I thought goals was was probably the way to go Um, 1-1 1-1 is the correct score favourite. I think it's a, a big runner here. I think both teams to score was my selection around 1.92 on the exchange. Um, 
Both teams have scored in 12 of United's 16 away games, including six of the last seven. It also added in five of their six group games in this competition too. So I just think both teams have got quality players in forward areas, uh, fit and scoring goals at the moment. And defensively, they're both a little bit suspect too. So yeah, obviously dressed up with that caveat, but it's a knockout tie, first leg, and it's Simeone and Atletico. But uh, I think there's enough precedence there to suggest that we might see a few goals. Sounds like quite a good one, this, Emmett. I think I'm going to enjoy this. Is this the way you're going, or are you going to bring some doom to the equation? No, no, I'd, 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 I'd echo everything everything the lads have said there. Just to, I guess, bring a little bit more context there. Um, no team in the top half of Spanish La Liga has conceded more goals at Atletico Madrid this season, which, again, is incredible given Simeone's history. And similarly, only Southampton are the only team in the Premier League's top half that have conceded more goals than Man United. So I'm more than happy to take to take uh, over two and a half goals at, at, at over even money here. All right, I'll, I'll go out and limb here. I'll make I'll, I'll set myself up here to look for extremely foolish, but I do think United. Are, I I think United are worth maybe a five or a ten or a thirty-eight in the exchange. The Champions League as well. Listen, I've, I've on podcasts in the past. I've made United maybe look I've maybe look terrible. This this is lightly again, but the logic here is simple. The core of this team and David de Gea, Rafael Varane, Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandez, Jaden Sancho, and Cristiano Ronaldo is is quite strong and potentially dangerous in a cup competition. As I've mentioned before, we've seen Ralph Rangnick stabilise performances in this team in the last six matches, and it is possible we see further improvement in the coming weeks. But I think the strongest kind of I think point for United is that we've seen unlikely Premier League teams win and make the Champions League final in recent years. The Liverpool team that lost to Real Madrid in 2017-18 was better than this United team, but they did finish fourth in the Premier League and included Loris Karius and Dejan Lovren in their starting eleven. I think this United team is, is possibly comparable to the Tottenham side, actually, that got to the lost Liverpool in the 2018-19 final, having lost 13 matches in the Premier League that season. Also, last season, Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel would have been in about to the 20-1 range to win the tournament at this stage last season. The, it's just simple logic is United's resources dwarf most of their non-Premier League counterparts and gives them scope to outrun those odds. And I think like even uh, outside of Liverpool, I think Liverpool and Man City, I wouldn't have mass... I think my United, if would, I think, have a reasonable chance against somebody like a PSG or a Bayern. I, 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 I think they are beatable. And I think as well, the five the five subs gives give, give, gives United gives United a huge advantage. But you could see United could have maybe Rashford, Paul Pogba, etc. coming on with half an hour to go, which is probably better than a lot of the teams they'll play. So I'll set myself up for foolishness here. I love it. O'Keefe swinging for the fences and he was more and more convinced as he went on. Lovely to see. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet, so Betfair's now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds, over-under and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. Let's go to Tuesday's action before we hop back to Wednesday. Chelsea up against Lille. Mark, this is a really interesting one for me because Lille have saved their best performances for the Champions League, but they came through a group that wasn't mega impressive and their league form has been patchy at best. So what kind of shape are they in ahead of this trip to Chelsea? Um, better than they were, but still not totally convincing. And I think that was probably encapsulated by Friday night's Dower nil-nil draw against relegation threatened Mets, where uh, they failed to to unlock the the deep line defence really. And um, I know their head coach Jocelyn Guvernek said after the match that uh, you know don't take any sort of clues from that performance as to what they're going to do at Chelsea because it's going to be a drastically different system, formation, and and approach really. And I think that hints at 
ultra defensive, play on the counter attack, utilize set pieces, and and see what you can do in transitions. But I'm not sure that's the best way to play against a Chelsea team that play three centre halves and two holding midfielders. They they don't often get caught out in transitions, Chelsea. So um, yeah, I think they're going to need an away goal to not an away goal, obviously, but need to score <laughs> away from home to to have a, a fighting chance for the second leg and. Uh, I'm not sure they're going to get too many opportunities. We know they've got strengths with Jonathan David and, and Jonathan Bamba to play on the counter-attack, but how, how often are they going to get that opportunity? And um, Burak Yilmaz, if he starts, he's passed it now, unfortunately. He had a wonderful season last year, but he's looked Ooh, well Don't say best. that. He'll come back and get you. He'll <laughs> oh, get 50 goals next season, <laughs> you watch. <laughs> 46 next week, isn't he? So, yeah, he's got... Um, I think their defensive organisation and resilience has been their, their key strength over the past 18 months. Now, obviously, there's been a coaching shift, so they haven't been quite as uh, formidable in that regard. But uh, Jose Font's experience alongside Sven Botman normally tends to hold them together. They've got three potential candidates to play in the sort of holding midfield role as well. But um, yeah, they came through that group. You know, they won at Sevilla, won at Wolfsburg, gave Salzburg a tough time in Austria as well. And domestically, they too, they've, they've held Marseille and Monaco away and gave a good account of themselves away at PSG earlier in the season. But uh, more recently, PSG absolutely thrashed them and uh, it was probably their best performance domestically so far this season. And, and Lille were a long way off uh, sort of competing there, which is a concern, I think, going to Stamford Bridge. The only sort of shining light, I think, from from that regard is Chelsea just haven't looked themselves going forward since the key injuries to, to James and Chilwell, you know, on the wing-backs. Mason Mount being injured as well sort of loses them a lot of that sort of thrust um, going forward. And I think, you know, Tuchel's insistence on playing Lukaku as this kind of hold-up merchant rather than playing to his strengths, which we've seen over the past few years, um, sort of negates their attack a little bit too. So It's quite weird that, isn't it? If 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 we think that Tuchel... I mean, I, I believe he's a brilliant coach and his recent record suggests that. So for him to persist with something that quite patently isn't working is a bit odd. It is a bit odd, and and this is where sometimes I just feel like I don't have the same education as someone like Thomas Tuchel to make a an informed statement about it because he's seeing what they're doing. It's never stop me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm obviously missing something because uh, you spend a lot of money on a, a player who is absolutely exceptional over the past couple of years. He's matured superbly, but whether it's something personality clash, there's there's something behind the scenes which we've seen a few times in in comments from the two. I don't know, but you still would think. For the good of the team, he'd try and find a system to suit, you know, one of their key assets. But it's not been the case. And, you know, they, they haven't scored freely um, since putting Juventus to the sword in November, particularly at Stamford Bridge. They've only scored more than two goals twice at home since. And that came against Chesterfield in the FA Cup from the fifth tier and also against Leeds when Jorginho scored two penalties. So um, I don't expect them to walk over Lille, but I do expect them to win the game. So I thought, you know, just play it pretty simple. Chelsea to win an under three and a half goals. It's 2.15 on the exchange, I think that's fair enough. I, I can see Chelsea winning this game with room to spare, but also not completely convincingly. Uh, Stinch, how do you see this one? Because Lille, as Mark says, they're a funny team. I like the idea that Gouvenek would say, don't worry about that rubbish goalless draw at the weekend. We're going to be totally <laughs> different, completely convincing the fans. Yeah, I mean, like for them, Liga is... Their, def- their defence of their title is pretty much done, isn't it? You know, cast adrift in, in mid-table. So why not focus all your your assets on Champions League um, potential glory? Um, and I couldn't, couldn't really 
put, put him off. I mean, it might it might suit them really to go into this game and just kind of defend really rather than not be expected to to be too progressive. I think looking at the odds here, Chelsea two to seven, I think absolutely stinks. To be honest, uh, can't have can't have Chelsea at this price. So I'm going to be really greedy basically and just lay Chelsea around about one point three five on the exchange. So essentially, I'm backing Chelsea not to win at three to one. I say I just I just think it. They, we've seen enough evidence over the last probably three months now that the Chelsea's performances aren't matching up with their odds. I mean, look at the fact that they were turned over when they were four to seven against Palmeiras. That's I'm talking in ninety minutes, obviously. One to twenty against Plymouth. Four to eleven v Brighton. Four to seven v Zenit. Like these are short prices they're getting they're getting turned over at. So definitely can't have them at, at two to seven. Um, Mark mentioned about the fact they've only their um, scoring record recently has been poor. Just scored more than once in a game in their last eight. I think it's well documented uh, about Lukaku at the weekend. Seven touches, the lowest ever in the Premier League since they began and kept keeping these stats in uh, the 03-04 season. One of those I've, was a kickoff as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, I feel like this is the end for him and Tuchel, to be honest. That might, that might sound a bit bold, but you know, you guys are kind of saying why they're persisting with him. Well, I, 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 guess, I think you meant why they you know, continuing to play him. I guess maybe... You could say they do. No, the same I as would. Werner. I would play him, Stinch. I, I, as you guys know, I'm a massive believer in Lukaku. I think he's a terrific player, but I can't understand why you would ask him to do something that's so far out of his skill set. We know he's strong. We know he can pin defenders, but that's not the guy that played for Inter in the last two seasons. And you see how devastating he can be. I, I can't really understand why Tuchel can't find that kind of halfway point between the two. Yeah, but maybe the way he sees it is he doesn't think he should be expect to change everything for one man. Obviously, you know, we saw the success they had last season. Um, yep. Winning the Champions League. They, I think they matched City in terms of expected points in the Premier League from when he took over um, around Christmas time. So in his mind, you know, did a fantastic, you know, if you're if you're on a par with Man City and you're beating Man City three, three games in a row, think, uh, think they sh- you should... The, the player or whatever should be adapting to your system. Um, and maybe they thought Lukaku could do that. And that's why they went out and spent all that money. I don't know. But it's just three goals now in his last 10. And they've come against Chesterfield, Al-Hilal and Palmeiras. So not really, you know, the 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 biggest and toughest defences. Mark mentioned about the injuries. Uh, Azpilicueta and uh, Hudson-Odoi missed the match at the weekend. And I think they could be back in contention. But I... Always think if you're rushing players back from injuries or they're just returning first game back, it's not going to be ideal. Um, I think he makes a great point about the lack of uh, Reese James and Chilwell. Tuchel reverted to a back four at the weekend, playing Malang Saar and Christensen as makeshift fullbacks. Don't think that really works. It'll be interesting to see what what he does here. Um, but just touching back on the odds, the reason I'm happy to lay Chelsea rather than kind of find a way to bat Lille on the handicap. Not just this game, but just my sort of approach in general. If you if you back a team on on the handicap, I think if they go a goal behind, it changes the game dynamic completely. Like they kind of have to come out a little bit, and they might not continue with their defensive plan. So it's quite easy for them to maybe lose by more than one goal. Whereas the longer it stays nil nil, I think the the more value you're eking out of laying them. Because if you back Lille, you know plus plus one, you'd be around evens. 
Whereas I'm taking them here, I'm getting three to one. So I kind of only need to be right one every four games just to break even. Whereas the other, I've got to be right once every two that they're, you know, they're competing. So I'm, I prefer to do it this way. I mean, like Mark mentioned about the fact they lost 5-1 to PSG. That's case in point. I'd rather lay PSG at a short price than, as I say, take Lille on, on a handicap. Um, and, you know, there are players out there that Lille have got that are young and exciting and have got that volatility as a result. Jonathan David, fantastic example, massive, massive fan. Um, keep an eye out for Canada at the World Cup if and when they qualify. Uh, Renato Sanchez, he only seems to turn up for Portugal, but you never know. The big lights of the Champions League, maybe he's a TV man. Um, and I think Sven Botman's destined for bigger and better things. So, yeah, laying Chelsea and... To be fair, if they're going off short prices, um, you know, as there's they have been in the last few months, happy to happy to continue in the in the coming weeks in the Premier League as well. So competing views here, Emmett. We've got Mark backing Chelsea. We've got Stinch laying Chelsea. Which way are you going? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably lean towards uh, kind of laying Chelsea as well. I think this, yeah, as I feel this kind of current version of Chelsea without James and Chilwell, I think they're closer in level to maybe Arsenal or Man United than they are to Liverpool and Man City. None of Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech, Kai Havertz, Romelu Lukaku and Timo Werner have scored more than five league goals. That's an estimated probably 300 million worth of talent. And like, and, and, and 300 million pounds. And if you, and feel, I feel like watching them, they just have to work so hard for their goals. And given all of that, and Mark mentioned the kind of them being chinned to short prices recently, I think I, I couldn't recommend them as a kind of a midweek accumulator selection. And Lille, I think, Lille probably aren't good enough to kind of to really expose Chelsea, but they are better than their league position in, in French Ligue 1. I think they're third in expected goal difference. They did get the better of a useful Sevilla team in the group stages, and they're away lost to Red Bull Salzburg in the group stage. looked a little bit better after Red Bull's performance last week. The way I'd probably look to get with Lille, I might chance a half-time nil all. It was at 3.3 in the sports book when I looked last night. It's actually clicked in Chelsea's last two matches. And since James's injury, Chelsea have managed one first half goal against Brighton, Tottenham and Crystal Palace. And I think I could see this being a game where Chelsea absolutely dominate. Lille are sitting in their own half. And maybe it takes a while before they break through. And it could be kind of, a, yeah, I think kind of a, a grinding 1-0 or 2-0 Chelsea victory most likely here. But yeah, but again, I, I, I wouldn't back them at a short price. Really interesting tie between Villarreal and Juventus. We've got Villarreal market. 2.56 for this first leg in Spain. We've got Juventus at 3.25. But it's Juventus that, in general, has improved of late. And you get the sense that with Vlaovic, obviously, you know, part of their team now, they are a bit of a different proposition. I know Chiesa is injured, so there's a bit of a kind of trade-off there. But they do look better than they were. They do, and they've made some decent sort of unassuming progress, really, particularly defensively under Max Allegri in the past few months. I think they've only conceded seven goals in the last 14, and a few of those were in that thrilling game against Roma as well. But, yeah, um, I flip-flopped with my views on this game, um, basically because of the injuries Juventus are enduring at the minute. Uh, I thought Juventus plus a quarter on the Asian handicap was really quite interesting, but I've had to revise that because not just going into Friday's match where they were missing a, a bunch of defenders and Alexandro starting at centre-half alongside uh, De Ligt, but uh, 
we now know that uh, Chiellini's definitely missing. Regani is now definitely missing. Um, Bonucci is most probably missing. Uh, probably need to wait until Tuesday for confirmation there, as well as, as you say, Chiesa, as well as Dybala as well. So they're very short at centre-half and they're very short on creativity as well, which would be a concern because uh, I think Villarreal, who are missing Gerard Moreno themselves, um, are a tricky team to, to play against. As many teams, many of the top teams have found out under Unai Emery, um, you know, they've they won terrifically well at Betis not so long ago. They held Real Madrid at the Ceramica, won convincingly at Granada at the weekend where Danjuma was, was really quite impressive. So He's uh, such got, a good player, isn't he, Danjuma? So he good is. to watch. I'm so happy for him to, you know, it's not often a player moves straight to La Liga from somewhere like the Championship and, and hits the ground running, but he was... He was so so good in the second tier in England. You expected him to to make the leap pretty pretty comfortably, but still, to move to La Liga and make such an impact is is quite heartening, really. And Lo Celso has made a, a small impact too since he's moved back to Spain from Spurs. So I think still Villarreal have got the tools to hurt this Juventus team, but it's going to be tricky. It's, it's a very difficult match to, to second guess. But in terms of odds, uh, Villarreal what two point five six on the exchange. They were 2.75 at home to Real Madrid. They were 2.55 at home to Man United and 2.5 at home to Atalanta on match day one. Um, now, obviously, they took four points off Atalanta in the group stage. And I think they're the better team against Man United home and away. So Juventus in their current guys, missing those centre-halves, missing those creative players in the final third. Um, I don't think the market is too far wrong here. So I'd personally wait until the team news was a bit more clear surrounding Juventus and, and particularly Benucci. But right now I'm favouring Villarreal plus zero. However, you know, it's a tricky game to call. And I think the draw is a, a big, big runner here too. Yeah, Stinch, Unai Emery is a guy you'd never want to back against in a two-legged tie, given his incredible success in the Europa League. No Europa League for him this time. He's accidentally ended up in the Champions League. He must be furious. But he is a factor. You know, you look at coaches, I know Arsenal fans will say, well, he was no good for us. I dispute that. But he is a factor in a tie like this. Um, to be honest, I don't really like Unai Emery, so I wouldn't want to back. <laughs> You're not wanna... putting him in the Ranieri um, section, are you? No, but I wouldn't want to back him as a favourite. I think you can all remember when he, uh, you know, beat PSG four nil and then went away and lost six yeah. one in a second leg. Um, but um, and that's not where my sort of like not uh, negativity comes towards him. It's fr- it's from a long time. It's you know from his early days. Um, you just watch him on the sideline. He doesn't stop. And it's like how from, I would kind of thought, um, you know, and he loves to rotate and make these little changes. And it just, you don't need to consistently tinker. Just he is, So he is a little bit similar to Ranieri in that respect. And in, in his like, you know, Ranieri's Chelsea days, essentially. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I'm just not a huge fan of, of, uh, of Emery. And I'm a massive Max Allegri fan, to be honest. He won, he won me over, to be fair. Um, I remember when he took over at Juventus after Conte and I didn't understand why Juventus were going off for short, short, short prices, opposed them lots, lost, lost a fair bit of cash and then gradually understood what he was doing and understand that they, they are a good team, not necessarily on the underlying data, but he... I think as a tactician, I think he, he is he is really good. You know, he's guided Juventus to Champions League final in the past. Obviously won multiple Serie A's and 
I think this is. Uh, I think you know, making the final was very impressive, considering the the fact that I would have said that at that time Premier League and La Liga teams and Bayern were all better than Juventus. So I th- I, I, st- I believe. I, yeah, I think he's a great coach, and had some success with backing uh, Juventus this season at home to Chelsea and away to Zenit against the odds, essentially. Um, and kind of what I want to do here, but yeah, having with Mark mentioned all the injuries, I just think it's. I think this is such a. a such a trappy game basically I don't really want to take take anything um, I don't know if you might mention but I think Dybala's a, a big doubt as well um, and I'm and to be fair like I'm not really sure where you I think you guys sort of praised Juventus at the beginning but I'm not quite sure where sort of Allegri ball which I believe is your phrase Kev um, which is quite a good one as well <laughs> um, I'm not quite sure where it's at like he start he's, he's the last couple of games he started with all three of Vlavic, Dybala and Morata and that doesn't really scream like that's going to work to me. Like Morata as a, as a wide man, I don't really like Morata anyway. I don't understand how he keeps getting these moves. His goal scoring record's abysmal. Um, you can imagine Dybala in a two or Dybala in a three and Vlavic in the centre, but Morata as the wide man, like why didn't they just keep Kulazewski? You know, he could have done that role, especially with Bernadeschi out, uh, Chiesa out with his cruciates, which is a huge, huge miss. Um, so yeah, I just I think it's just really difficult. I mean, they faced all of Milan, Inter, Napoli, Atalanta, and Roma already this year, and they registered four draws and a win. So they're undefeated, but I think they've been very unglamorous, if you like, in in those ties. So yeah, I think a really difficult one to call. You I mean you if you look at the unders and the unders is you know four to seven under under two and a half goals, which I told you told you all you need to know. I think it's going to be a very very tight game, and I think this is probably one that potentially has got extra time penalties written all over it for the second leg, to be honest. Yeah, Emmett, this could be super close, couldn't it? Not just in this game, but throughout the tie. Absolutely, yeah. I think, to me, given I think given the injuries and kind of recent this actually feels like close to a 50-50 tie to me. Um, I was just, just on the first year of Villarreal, on the Gerald Moreno injury, Villarreal have actually scored 12 goals in six games since he got injured. So I think they've actually coped relatively well. I think, I, I think we kind of, I'm pretty sure I know how good Villarreal are. They're kind of their expected goals has them fourth, fourth in La Liga, but kind of a similar number to Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. I think I think Villarreal are a pretty solid team. Whereas I'm not really sure how good Juventus are at all. I think that we've kind of full disclosure here. I actually backed them for Serie A a couple of weeks ago at about at, at, at 25 to one when they had signed uh, Vlaivic and Zakaria because I thought they might take a big step forward. But that hasn't really been the case at all. They they lost on the XG at home to Trino. And I watched them play against Atalanta a couple of weeks ago in Bergamo, and they were fortunate to nick a point at the last minute. And just what Mark mentioned about the, the way they attack, they were playing Vlajevic, Dybala, and Morata in a kind of a front three, and they were and it was just they were playing totally kind of through the middle, this very kind of narrow attack. And Atlanta really coped with it very easily. Uh, one of my colleagues at work, actually, Maliki Rooney, who watches the Serie A, has kind of mentioned this to me before. The Juventus have got a very strange style of play. I can see Villarreal really frustrating them. And, and given when Juventus, and, and, and maybe Juventus mightn't have that defensive solidity of old with Alexandro playing, maybe playing at centre half. I think everything to me point this points to kind of a 50 50 tie and yet we're getting 13 to 8 on Villarreal to qualify um so I I because I, I, I'm, I'm very much prepared for Villarreal to dominate general play have the better of the XG and then a couple of moments of live which makes a difference but I, I, but I'm happy to play but given 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 you're getting 13 13 to 8 in Villarreal to qualify that looks like value to me I'd have this close to maybe closer to maybe 1.8 at uh, 2.25 kind of uh, on the quality qualifiers 
Worth bearing in mind, our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet £20 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £5 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. Mark gave a good example of that earlier in the show when he went for Chelsea to beat Lille and under three and a half goals. One more tie from this week to have a look at. That's Benfica against Ajax. Ajax are the odds-on favourites here at 1.88. I'm going to start with you, Stinch. Ajax on a roll domestically hasn't always been the case this season, strangely enough. Usually it is, but there was a bit of a spell uh, where it wasn't quite the case. But in the Champions League, magnificent. They've won all of their games so far. And I guess you look at Ajax's performances against Sporting and you think, well, Sporting are better than Benfica and they wipe the floor with Sporting. Yeah, I've got written down here, Ajax have been pretty much flawless this season. You look at their overall statistics, they've won 27 of 33 across League Cup in Europe. And remember, six out of six in the Champions League, which is no mean feat considering they had Dortmund in their group. They've scored 108 goals. They've conceded just 10. <laughs> 10. It's not in bad, is it? 33 games. I mean, half of those come in the Champions League, so that kind of you know tells you maybe there's there is that disparity that we always kind of think about with the era divisa um but yeah i mean i think it's 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 very difficult i was trying to look at reasons to oppose ix at the price because they opened up around evens and they were 11 to 10 at sporting in this in the group stage but considering they won 5-1 that that might suggest that 11 to 10 was wrong and that was the beginning of the season as well when when maybe there's a bit more um it's a bit more cloud over how good a team actually is. I mean, you look at City away at Sporting last week. City opened up at one to two when the draw came out, and they went off at one to four. So, if 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 people maybe are happy to accept that Ajax should have been odds on away at Sporting, then then maybe there's no reason to to look elsewhere than than to take the straightforward Ajax win. Um, Benfica have, have have struggled. Badly, particularly of late, 12 points off the title race, lost four out of four to big rivals, Porto and Sporting. Legendary Jorge Jesus left at the uh, the end of last year. Um, so, yeah, very, very down on, on Benfica. And, you know, your man Haller is, uh, is looking like the talismanic man that uh, he's kind of always pretended to maybe be um, if only West Ham had had a bit more faith in him and played to his strengths who knows what could have happened would look quite good in that West Ham team now I think um, playing that would Antonio good in it role before. <laughs> um, so yeah maybe uh, to take Ajax I mean uh, rather than the, the four to five on the on the sports book go take them at 1.9 on the exchange um, don't think you can go too wrong there. I looked at Ajax to win and both teams to score, but that's only 12 to 5. And I don't quite like those sorts of uh, odds when the team you're, you're back in is not a, not a heavy favourite. I would prefer, I quite like those bets when you've got a team that say like 1 to 4 to win and you're getting like 12 to 5, 5 to 2 on them to win and both teams to score because essentially you're just paying to see the both teams to score there. So I think that's quite a nice value. Whereas here you're paying for them to win and then hope and then if the, if they win and both teams score it's obviously it's a closer game than than the odds than the odds envisage so yeah i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to play that when you're being offered odds of 1.9 on ix to win so yeah unless the lads can put you off i think maybe ix at 1.9 is the way to go and you know try not to complicate it basically yeah, Stinch keeping it nice and simple. Mark, it's not just about Ajax being a really good side. It's actually about Benfica not being that great. I mean, you look at them 
in the Premier League, they've been inconsistent. George Jesus is gone. Obviously, uh, Nelson Verissimo is in charge now. But they're very hit and miss, aren't they? They've got good individuals, but they don't look like a great team. No, they don't. Um, going through a really sort of wobbly spell mid-season. They've looked all at sea defensively as well. Um, a far cry away from match day two when they beat Barcelona 3-0. But even on that occasion, I think we talked about it a few times in the first half against the poor Barca team. They gave up a few really golden opportunities and, and then took their opportunities in the second half to, to put that game to bed and, and Barca reduced to 10 as well. But uh, and That yeah. was the worst Barcelona of the season, wasn't it? That was the proper <laughs> nadir under Koeman at the time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really was. Um, and, and, and they had their opportunities away at Benfica. So, yeah, Stinch kind of touched on it as well. I think we can get a gauge of where they really are by looking at the matches that matter for Benfica and, and how they've performed. And I've seen a few of these games at first hand and beaten 3-1 by Sporting at home, beaten 3-0 and 3-1 at Porto in both the League and Cup and then beaten again 2-1 at home by Sporting in the Cup and uh, not all of those were under George Jesus either. Um, it's now two clean sheets and 12 across all competitions and uh, most recently they were held by Boa Vista at the weekend, held by Moriense recently, beaten by Gil Vicente as well. These just aren't results or performances you associate with Benfica who um, you know, are normally one of the dominant forces in that division. So, um, and yeah, I think the best form line can be found in their record against the big two in Portugal and what Ajax did against Sporting in the group stage. Um, when we went off at 2.07 on match day one, and I thought the market had overrated Ajax quite significantly, and I really fancy Sporting to do a decent job on them, but uh, they, were, they went far too gung-ho and got torn to shreds completely and something similar happened in the second leg but not just that Ajax went off at favourites away at Dortmund as well they were 2.35 away at Dortmund so you know who are we to argue that they should be odds on away at Benfica I, I believe they're fully worthy of that price and do expect them to win I do expect goals though um, I think this game's got plenty of goals written over it because Benfica can score uh, Darwin Nunes has been in great form and you know Harris Severovic is actually injured which is probably a bonus for, for Benfica but, uh, <laughs> yeah more likely to score <laughs> but yeah. ultimately it comes down to the personnel and, and if you've got Vertonghen or Otamendi at centre half and you're playing the likes of Anthony and Allaire and Tadic you know that just that just worries me massively for a Benfica fan so uh, yeah I actually win this game but um, uh, I do fancy goals as well but uh, I think if you combine the two Stinch talked about the both teams to score angle as well uh, you can just bump Ajax to win an over one and a half goals to around 2.25 which I think is is fair enough if you don't like the odds on away shot um, you're basically backing Ajax to win by any scoreline that's not 1-0 Emmett I think it's a fair shout isn't it that Ajax have got a great chance of winning this game and it, there was a point that Stinch made, which I think is a really relevant one. It's a slightly different Ajax in the sense that they are controlling games. It's not just about blowing teams out of the water. They're very, very controlled. Don't concede many goals at all. They had a ridiculous run earlier this season of clean sheets. And it's not just in the Eredivisie. It's in the Champions League as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of this... It's, it's funny, yeah, Raphael Honigstein did a great piece on the Athletic there earlier in the season saying that the kind of the numbers of this Ajax team were very comparable to the kind of Ajax team that uh, were, were unfortunate to lose Tottenham the Champions League, Champions League semi-final a few years ago. But this Ajax team don't have anywhere near the kind of level of, of kind of star, star talent that that team had. And it's more, their success is more about, as you said, kind of being kind of a really cohesive team, having a really good system and kind of, and, and a kind of, 
and kind of a, a, a absolutely maximizing their abilities. I think the I think the I, I would I would and given the way that they play, I, I would really like to see them see them go far. Maybe make a semi final. I think they're I think they're clearly one of the the kind of one of the best run cl- run clubs in Europe. I'd echo what I was going to say before is all about Yang Vertonghen. I was actually in Lisbon last year on a kind of on a holiday and went to Benfica game and couldn't get over how slow Vertonghen had gotten. So I think I think the I think that's that's that's, a, that's definitely an opportunity for Ajax to exploit. Um, yeah, I, I echo everything the lads said there. And I think if you're looking for maybe a bigger price punt, I wouldn't put anyone off backing Ajax to score four more goals around 15 to two. They scored four and five goals against Sporting in the group stages, who are six points out of Benfica in the Portuguese league. We've seen Portuguese teams get battered by Liverpool and Man City this season. Ajax maybe aren't on that level, but they do have a really, really potent attack. And if they go at her head early, I think this definitely has the potential for a very one-sided game. Yeah, it's a good point there. Ajax, once they get in front, they're not the type of team to just try and hold on to that. They do tend to keep on pushing and keep looking for more goals. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Every single Champions League game is previewed in depth on our website, betting.betfair.com. We've also got Europa League and Conference League previews on there as well. Lots of other shows to enjoy on the Betfair Podcast Network, including the Cheltenham Rawcast, which looks specifically at the Cheltenham Festival, which is not too far away at all. From Emmett, from Stinch, from Mark and from me, it's goodbye for now.